This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to the Gospel for Life. We are continuing our looking, our study of and look at the book, The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? What will it take to bring them back? We're trying to provide you as the listener a foundation which we're going to continue to build over the over the next days or whatever how long this series will go and hopefully we're not getting bogged down in those the the minutia but we want everybody to understand the the issue that we're dealing with the the seriousness of the issue this is 40 million people in the united states that used to go to church and now are not going to church should just shock us as a statistic um the fact that over half of our our population no longer attends church should should be alarming and say okay what has happened i just remember from my own childhood i grew up in a pretty secular town and and i i would have said there out of my class of uh 50 there were two of us that were christians but if you ask me how many of those 50 went to church i would have told you that 45 out of the 50 mm-hmm. went to church not christian but they had a veneer of christianity there was still a significance for them that's to say I should go to. I should be in church every week. I don't believe any of it. It doesn't affect how I live. I don't really ha- trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation. But they were in church. Now I would guess if I went back to my hometown and it's a class size of fifty, there would be twenty five that never darkened the door of a church, mm-hmm. and that's in thirty years, thirty five mm-hmm. years. So that's why it matters. That's why we're talking about this. Um, yesterday we we did bring up this idea that. Probably all of us for sure know multiple families that have grown kids that they those kids have walked away from the faith. The authors would maintain that they don't hardly know anybody over 50 with grown kids that their kids haven't gone. I mean, so we're not in that position. We, we're not interacting with as dark of statistics as what these um, authors are dealing with. But 68 of those that... They did survey, 68% of, of the de-churched evangelicals said their parents played a role in that decision. And there are five reasons why they give that they, quote-unquote, became un- de-churched because of their parents. And I'm going to just list them, and then I just want you guys to interact with these these five. So the first is, all their emphasis on culture, all their parents' emphasis on the culture war lost me over time. Second, their parents' lack of love, joy, gentleness, kindness, and generosity. Third, their inability to listen. Four, their inability to engage with other viewpoints. And fourth, their racial attitudes or actions. So, which of these five have you seen? Are there any that surprise you? What other insights might you have on this list of five? Well, I think for point one, I again growing up in the in the '90s, where some of that that religious right it really began at cancel culture. I, I remember that feeling that from my own my own parents. It, it 
obviously hasn't has been a deterrent from the Christian faith, but feeling that oftentimes I understood that there was a thing out there that I wasn't supposed to watch, listen to, touch, or be a part of, but I didn't always understand why. And, mm-hmm. and I think for me now as a parent, facing some of these same challenges, <clears throat> perhaps even worse, like we've, we've got a 12-year-old daughter who loves to read, finding her a book series that is not rife with anti-Christian morality has been a real struggle. Mm-hmm. And we've had to have some deep mm-hmm. conversations about, no, why you can't check that book out of the library or why we're not going to go with you know, a subscription that allows you any book you want anytime. For me, I think the, the importance of getting down and drilling into the why is, is vitally important. And, and perhaps, I'm guessing, perhaps that didn't happen. It just became a set of religious rules that over time, especially as a, a child aged and got out of the home and experienced some of those things, brought about a dissatisfaction or disassociation with, with their parents' rules. And 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 the, obviously the, the children are not engaged on that Y level. I mean, right. as you know, I remember growing up, there was a little book by Paul Little, Know Why You Believe, or yeah. know, know What, know what you, he wrote too, Know What You Believe, Know Why You Believe. And uh, I think the why part is a very important uh, part. We can't just uh, give our children uh, what – Others socialize, I won't even say the word, (laughs) moral therapeutic deism. You know, we're we're giving them uh, morality. We're giving them a God that's uh, detached from them. And, uh, you know, and we're doing it so that they'll feel good. All we're doing is the feel goods. Um, We're providing the good life, but we're not not actually giving them the why. I I think... It's it's so easy, and I'm throwing myself into this category. It's so easy as a parent to just want moral behavior from our kids, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so then what you do is you create this list of well of things to avoid. But we we really what Christianity is not the things that we avoid, but the thing that we have, mm-hmm. and what we have is God, and what we have in God is this fullness and this richness and this beauty and this glory, and so often. We we <laughs> communicate to our kids. Well, life is really the avoidance, and and I think the message of the scripture is is not a message of avoidance. Naturally, that's part of it, but the real message of of, of the Bible is what we possess in Christ Jesus. The the and and what flows out of having Christ is both a positive. And a negative in the fact that we're wanting to kill the old man we're, and yeah, those we're, old we're desires. saved to something, saved from something. Yes, um, you know the you know great you know we've mentioned already that this is nothing new. And in fact, you can read it in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. You read it in the Book of Judges. You read it. You know they're brought into this promised land. They've given been given blessings. They, there's houses that they didn't build. There's vineyards that they didn't plant. There's all this there, and we're told in in Genesis. I mean, in Judges two ten, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He'd done for Israel. They didn't have the why. They didn't have the what. They didn't have any of that, and and therefore, uh, you know, they're they're intermarrying. They're doing. They're taking up the gods of the nations around them. They're doing all those things because they don't know the work of God. How do you go from walking in the wilderness to being uh, delivered, and then not pass that truth on to your family? And that speaks to, uh, I think, an issue in this too: the laziness. You know, they're of one generation and not training, not 
teaching, not yeah. passing on what God has has done. And that's something that Moses warned of as he was right. you know, giving his last <laughs> speech to the people of God. When you go into the possessed land, when you when you have the the fruit of the land, when you're prospering, when you're doing well, don't forget the Lord. And that's the pattern that we see throughout the Old Testament. People of God do well, they forget the Lord, they fall away, and they suffer because of it. And I think in some ways, maybe we're seeing that here as well. There's a laziness in the church, having prospered, becoming, you know, re- reaping God's blessings, so to speak, and then getting lazy, and then And I would say that the away. laziness is not simply in the church broadly. I think right. it, it moves into the home. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes yeah. we take the approach as parents to say, well, my kids are going to catch it. Right. right. Um, it's caught, not mm-hmm. taught. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually, that's not true. That's not biblical. That's not scriptural. Right. Yeah. Scripture would say it's both intentionally taught so that it can be caught. Right. And and, and yeah. there's a strong emphasis on the intentionality, whether in Deuteronomy 6, whether uh, Psalm 78. Yeah, that, you, you live it, that intentionality. You're, yeah. you're yes. teaching, but you're also then living according right. to what you're teaching. Yeah, they, they noted in here one of the reasons was the parents' inability to listen. Well, that that's a conversation. Yeah, and that's right. not that's not you know I'm not just listening to my child tell me what you know and then just forgetting about what he said. There's a conversation that starts there, and as you you were mentioning, uh, you know this is not something that they catch. This is something that they're taught. We're told in Deuteronomy uh, six, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk to of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You you know so there's a there's a constant activity that acknowledges and a conversation that acknowledges the presence of God. I this is going to keep sounding like I'm doing therapy for myself on the air here, but I'm just admitting that <laughs> we're here for you. Russ. Yes, thank you. Um, we'll listen. I, I think all of us would say none of us were perfect parents. <laughs> none of us got it completely right. Yeah. Um, but I, I just remember so often when my kids were growing up, um, there were moments when. They would say something that I disagreed with, and I would jump in too fast. Mm. Right, and my wife would come back and say, "You, you really didn't listen. You didn't hear them. Mm-hmm. You, you shut down the conversation mm-hmm. and didn't really give them the opportunity to process and to have it unfold in a way where learning really mm-hmm. could take place." And so I'm so thankful for my wife that slowed me down because it's really easy to not listen. It's really easy not to engage with other mm-hmm. viewpoints. And what mm. happens is that you not just shut down conversation, you shut down your child. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're not preparing them for the battle that they're going to face. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the that's exasperating. The, that's, the pro- that's the part that you're missing out. You need you need to have this conversation. Um, you know the whatever the philosophy ca- questions they're asking. Their question, their, those questions are being asked by their friends. Uh, those questions are being talked about in a, you know a conversation that you're not a part of. So when you enter into that conversation with them, then you can help you can help them work through that. Like you're saying, it's interesting that you you see this more and more in in religious circles, not just canceling those outside of the church but there is this this growing sense within well i can't ever read anything from an author that i might disagree with him on right. this point or right. this other point and it becomes this echo chamber where we only hear those that i i, I 
say and think exactly like me. And really what's happening is we're no longer listening to other perspectives. We're not having conversations. Mm. We're not being discerning. Mm. And we're we're really not hearing um, other voices. And we can't be so afraid that our faith can't stand up if we have a dialogue with somebody that we disagree with. Yeah, Mm. I think that, I think apologetics, you know, the defense of Christianity is a very important aspect that's missing in our, in our homes and our churches. We, you know, we're not, we're not uh, showing them how not only true it is, but how devotional, how it warms the very heart uh, to know, yeah, these questions have been answered already. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin's got a book to that point, 10 questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity. That's been helpful uh, for our family and for our youth ministry. Rebecca McLaughlin? McLaughlin, yep. McLaughlin. Um, I did want to say that sometimes the the accusation against Christians are that they're narrow-minded. And I often think that's an unfair characterization. But there is some truth to There's it. There's some ex- mm-hmm. uh, Christianity is exclusive. There's an exclusivity yep. to it. You know, it's you know, welcome all, but here's not. Here's where we're going. Mm-hmm. And so I think as we parent, two things that we want to just close with. We, we're not talking about these things so that we can become self righteous and say mm-hmm. I did it all right. And we're not talking about these things to create false guilt. Mm-hmm. What we want to do is hopefully just give us an honest assessment and say, hey, there's a real issue going on. We have young people that are leaving the church. And we want to step back and say, are there things that we can do to help um, negate that trend? Are there things that we could do to, to change in our lives? That, that yeah, Most of us aren't writing parenting books nope. when we were 20. We thought about it, but uh, we, had, we had the wisdom to wait and then realize we can't do that. <laughs> well, we'll follow up on most of this again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then.